This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you're having a great week, and I hope you're going to have a great day. Thanks so much for being part of the show. Harold Ford Jr., the Democrat, who I hope is the next mayor of New York City, will be joining us as Senator David Perdue shortly. But, of course, your calls are 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss. So hard getting it down to three. Today, the President of the United States will welcome, welcome President Oberdor of Mexico, who, even though he's a socialist, reportedly, I can't give you the inside story of Mexican politics. Him and the president have got along great. When it comes to the border, they've really worked together. Putting Marines on his southern border has certainly helped. Allowing would-be immigrants to come to our country but wait in Mexico, remain in Mexico, has certainly helped. And then when you talk about the USMCA, they're adjusting that and talking about that today. We don't have Canada showing up. We have Mexico showing up. Don't know why. Have my suspicions. So we'll talk about that, the breaking news. Also, uh, this afternoon, Attorney General Barr and Senator Tim Scott will hold a press conference sometime in the middle of our show at the AME Church in Columbia, South Carolina. It's still allowed to be called Columbia. And I think they're going to be talking about uh, some type of law enforcement reform. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, I think it's a tough situation for everybody. I talk to a lot of guys across the league, and they're they're texting me a lot. I'm not going to name any names, but just they're all thinking the same thing. Is this, is this going to work? We just got to stay safe and obviously be as cautious as we can. Mike Trout, the best player in baseball, uh, is talking about his worries as baseball set to kick off before July is through. Standing up sports, kids beginning to play again, baseball about to start, football making final preparations. Are we ready for sports, and do you believe we will finish what we start? I think so. We'll discuss it. Number two. There are some very militant type forces in Black Lives Matter who are now talking about, you know, if we don't get our demands, we're going to burn it down. And I viewed it as a very, very dangerous self-righteousness. Terry Crews, outstanding actor, host of America's Got Talent, speaking up. He says, I'll die on this hill. Die on the hill that Black Lives Matter, but all lives matter, and there are good people and bad people despite the color of their skin. It is not a crazy statement, but it seems to be a radical statement these days. Law and order in America as BLM, Black Lives Matter, debates. What is it going to take to bring peace to our streets? And, as you just heard, Terry Crews, dying on the hill of logical racial justice. As his retired footballer turned sportscaster Marcus Wiley, are they right to stand up and speak out? And is their message one that you could sign on to? Number one. And we hope that most schools are going to be open. We don't want people to make political statements or do it for political reasons. I think it's going to be good for them politically, so they keep the schools closed. No way. So we're very much going to put pressure on governors and everybody else to open the schools. Uh, That is the President of the United States. I think you recognize his voice talking about the need to open up schools. Don't we agree on that? The coronavirus. 
Hurdles remain in 40 states as they show a rise in cases. Cases, challenges exist in Texas, Arizona, Florida, and California especially. But the president says schools must open, and I agree. Plus, the U.S. officially leaves the WHO after they showed they were focused, more focused on protecting China than the world. And we'll take some calls on that. And in my, being that I want to do my part to push back on the war in history, when we are able to take some calls, I'll be able to uh, – I'm going to give away – uh, my books, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, out now in paperback. Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans. George Washington, Secret Six, and Thomas Jefferson, The Triple E Pirates. And then we have two younger kids' versions because so many kids are not in school. So uh, let's talk about the coronavirus. Here we go. A mixed message. You know in New York and Connecticut, things are going well. But do you know that around the country, in some places, really getting concerning? Uh, the ICUs are getting quite crowded in Florida and in Texas and in Arizona. The only 10% of those beds are available. So that is serious. Another 32 hospitals are dangerously close in Florida, uh, maximizing their ICU beds. But the other thing that's invariably true, and that is the fatalities are down. People are surviving with this. So does that mean the strain has weakened? Does that mean we're getting better at treating it? Does that mean younger people are getting it? I think to a degree, all three. But if you're going to open up schools, you got to realize Florida, which was once in the clear, and Texas once in the clear, and Arizona and Georgia once in the clear, are having challenges now. But I think you have to plan to open up schools. President of the United States yesterday in his conference, Cut 11. And we hope that most... Schools are going to be open. Uh, we don't want people to make political statements or do it for political reasons. I think it's going to be good for them politically, so they keep the schools closed. No way. So we're very much going to put pressure on uh, governors and everybody else to open the schools, to get them open. And uh, it's very important. It's very important for our country. It's very important for the well-being of the student and the parents. So we're going to be putting a lot of pressure on open your schools in the fall. Yeah, there has to be. I mean, that's not like Virginia where they say, well, we're going to open up for two days. and the, Or you could just learn from school for five days, learn from home for five days. That's not even opening up. Look, I'm not talking about being a, you know, the Wild West and doing things that are uh, beyond uh, using logic. Nobody wants to put kids in harm's way or a teacher. But there's huge harm in these kids spending almost a year at home on a laptop. No interaction. No school lunches, maybe some kids in, in, in challenging situations economically. You have families that are counting on going to work and not having kids at home. And the CDC, who put out guidelines, fears as though their guidelines are going to be used as wedges to keep schools closed. And the president feels many people are going out of their way to keep schools closed in states that want to see Joe Biden win in November. Here's Dr. Robert Redfield, cut 17. He's head of the CDC. CDC encourages all schools, all schools, uh, to do what they need to reopen uh, and to have plans that anticipate that the COVID-19 cases will, in fact, occur. When I look at it, I think it's important that the guidance that we've put out, as the Secretary mentioned, is guidance. And I want people to see it as guidance to reopen. And nothing would... uh, caused me greater sadness than see any school district or school use our guidance as a reason not to reopen. And some of those states, uh, for example, in Florida, they've dialed back on the bars, they've dialed back on indoor dining and other things, depending on the county. And maybe they opened up too quick. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was going to happen anyway. Maybe this thing's going to come back to the Northeast. I hope not. I'm here. 
But I don't think any of these states should be banning other states from coming in. One minute they're saying New York and New Jersey, you better stay home. Now New York and New Jersey are telling all these states, you better stay home. Well, you know who's in those states? People. And some have to visit family. Some have work. Some want to get away for a day. And they don't want to be in the middle of these, uh, these crazy quarantines because they're unenforceable to begin with. So Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, was asked about the low death rate and the fact that this isn't as fatal as everyone says. And if you're a younger person, you're not going to die. More than likely. Cut to. It's a false narrative to take comfort in, in a lower rate of death. There's so many other things that are very dangerous and bad about this virus. Don't get yourself into false complacency. I know. Uh, last thing we want is good news. Dr. Anthony Fauci, doom and gloom, who, through all his sophistication and his great intellect, says the most basic things, wash your hands and wear a mask. Oops, he doesn't always say wear a mask. Remember, early on, they said not to wear it. And he knows that's a problem now. Here is uh, first the president of the United States when he heard about Anthony Fauci pushing back on the good news about the rise in cases. Cut three. I think we are in a good place. I disagree with him. You know, Dr. Fauci said don't wear masks, and now he says wear them. And uh, you know, he said numerous things. Don't uh, close off China. Don't ban China. And I did it anyway. I sort of uh, didn't listen to my experts, and I banned China. We would have been in much worse shape. And he went to Europe, too, and then he banned the U.K. right after. Here's Fauci, July 1st, though, to his credit, admitting it. Cut one. We have to admit it, that that mixed message in the beginning, even though it was well-meant, to allow masks to be available for health workers, that was detrimental in getting the message across right now. No doubt about it. And that's what lingers. Now you, you leave your house without a mask, like, how could you? Well, what do you mean, how could I? For two and a half months, you told us, don't worry about it. It could make things worse. And also, don't say it's just because of hospital masks either. That makes no sense. Because we never would have worn a hospital mask if we thought it was keeping it from a nurse or a doctor. What do you think, we're going to walk around like some elitist with a hospital mask on? You told us online, the Surgeon General did, how to make your own mask. Get a couple of socks and tie them together, we would have done it. So I still don't, I still don't quite get what's actually going on with that council. And why uh, Dr. Fauci always seems to take the negative and always has such a great time when he's on the air at CNN and really enjoyed Brad Pitt ripping the president and playing him on SNL. When we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by Senator David Perdue of Georgia. You saw the governor, uh, Brian Kemp, declare a state of emergency in that state because the city of Atlanta in particular is out of control. We'll talk about him and so much more when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. 
Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, we're always looking at different things. When we signed in Jacksonville, and again, uh, we wanted to be in North Carolina. That almost worked out, but the governor didn't want to have people use the arena, essentially. And we sort of, I said, too bad, too bad for North Carolina. And then we went to Florida, and when we went, when we signed a few weeks ago, uh, it looked good, and now all of a sudden it's spiking up a little bit, and that's going to go down. So it really depends on the timing. Look, we're very flexible. We can do a lot of things, but we're very flexible. So Jacksonville will be the host. I think it's the last week in August. I'll be in Jacksonville, but who will, who will not be there? Mitt Romney out, Susan Collins out, Lisa Murkowski out, Lamar Alexander won't go, and I believe Chuck Grassley will not go. What about... Uh, Senator David Perdue of Georgia. Senator, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Will you be going to Jacksonville? Brian, I'll be there with bells on. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Are you kidding? Uh, This is a a chance to let America see and and showcase uh, the difference between what President Trump's agenda is accomplishing for the country and what the radical left wants to perpetrate on America. So you're going to be face off against uh, this young man, John Ossoff. What do you think? uh, Are you worried about your slot? They keep talking about Georgia changing. Well, Georgia's in play. We've added a million and a half new active voters here in Georgia in the last three years since the president was elected. Uh, But we're going to contrast, like I said, uh, what the left is trying to perpetrate here. We saw in our governor's race just two years ago uh, this uh, topic, and uh, we're going to make sure the people of Georgia know what's at stake here. So, Georgia, I know one thing is pretty clear, that the violence in Atlanta caught the attention of the governor and the country. And then we see children being gunned down. Uh, The governor's taken action with the National Guard. And the Democratic mayor has not protested. What else can be done? Well, Brian, first of all, I support our governor. It's about time we had some leadership in the city of Atlanta. I mean, 31 people were shot over this past weekend. And there are anarchists in Atlanta who want it to go the way of Seattle and Chicago. I mean, good Lord. In Chicago, over July 4th, 87 people were gunned down, and 20, uh, 17 of them died. Even on Memorial Day, this is nothing new, 80 people were, were shot in Chicago, and 21 died. So what we've got to do, I mean, I, I'm, we're supportive of this uh, Justice Act in the Senate right now. The Democrats wouldn't even let it get, put it on the floor to have a debate to amend it. We gave them 20 amendments, and they wouldn't do it. Um, they want this more as a political issue than they do a solution. Look, we're all for police reform, but the vast majority of our police, as we know, serve us honorably. But we do, we are um, uh, receptive to reform, to uh, database, to training, all the things that can make our communities safer. But the first thing we have to have is law and order, Brian. And you're not having it in Atlanta. And, you know, how do you, how do you characterize how your mayor has done in Atlanta? Well, the, the, you know, she she called out what happened in Atlanta. She said one thing I agree with, and that is that we know how to protest 
peacefully here. We can demonstrate peacefully. We've got a long legacy of that going back to the civil rights days. The difference this time is that we have outside agitators from outside the state really turning these peaceful demonstrations into violent acts of uh, terrorism, really. And uh, the looting and burning is unacceptable, uh, taking it into parts of town that, uh, that have never seen this before. And then the shootings. To have an eight-year-old girl shot down on the streets of Atlanta, my question is, where's the outrage? I mean, seriously, this is unacceptable. And I, I applaud the governor for stepping up and bringing out the guard to bring law and order back. Uh, it shouldn't be necessary, but it is necessary. You know, I'm on the outside. I can only go by what I hear and what I read. And their word is that the cops are so upset about the way this police officer was um, charged that they're beginning to use a lot of those sick days and beginning to stand down. What do you hear? What do you know? Well, we had a district attorney that, for political reasons, uh, jumped the gun and got out of the sequence. Look, we want, if somebody does something illegal, whether they have a uniform on or not, we want them prosecuted uh, to the fullest extent. These are tragic events that have happened in, in our country. They, they reach the headlines, but there are so many other acts of heroism that our first responders do every day that go unnoticed. Uh, we have to make sure that the police have our support. Um, the vast majority of them serve us honorably. We all know that. And look, without them, look at we have examples right now, Brian. You called it out. Look at Seattle in the zone there that uh, the police are not allowed. Can you imagine in a major city in America, uh, the police are not allowed to go? I mean, that's ridiculous. And these cities that we're talking about are all democratically run cities. So if you want a view of America, if Joe Biden gets elected, look at some of these cities where they thrive on anarchy right now. Let's uh, talk about Georgia and the coronavirus. You guys were the first ones to open up. You took a lot of ridicule, but you've kept it at bay. Now, you added 3,406 cases. There's been 2,850 deaths. You added uh, uh, 21. So the numbers are going up, but certainly not overwhelming. How would you characterize how you guys are handling the virus? Well, first of all, I applaud the governor again for opening up the economy. The president uh, laid out the three-phase plan. The governor uh, followed that plan. We have reopened. We have essential workers that have never shut down. We have the military here with nine bases that have never shut down. And what we have right now is a slight uptick in cases, but, Brian, they're really skewing much younger. And we've learned a lot about this virus. It really attacks the elderly and the people who are, uh, have an imp- a health impairment. And our younger people, are, while they're getting sick, many of them are, are asymptomatic, and they, the death rate continues to go down in Georgia. So we're convinced here, uh, looking at the numbers and, and talking to a lot of healthcare officials and people in business, if we follow the protocols, we can continue to reopen this economy. Look, we created 7 million jobs in the country um, uh, just in May and June, Brian. So the economy is resilient. It wants to reopen. People out there want to get back to work. And I think if we follow the protocols, we can get our schools and our businesses going again. Do you believe the president's trailing right now in his his quest to get four more years? Well, I don't believe the polls. They missed him in 16 as an outsider. They missed me in 14 as an outsider. I don't have a lot of faith in the polls. What I believe in is what I see and hear when I talk to people. We've reached out to... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. During the crisis to over almost a million people through our constituent conference calls at night, 
And I hear overwhelmingly they support the president's leadership against the virus, his leadership against this anarchy that's being perpetrated in America right now. And they see the way forward. They want to have hope, Brian. And I think this president has the ability to do that. Senator, uh, Senator, best of luck in your race. I hope to talk to you soon, and I'll be seeing you in Jacksonville. Absolutely, Brian. See you in Jacksonville. Thank you. You got it. So I want to get the Democratic perspective on this and also on law and order in New York City. From a Democrat with a level head, uh, Harold Ford Jr., always loved talking to him. He's actually in business and spent a lot of time in Congress and almost was the senator uh, from Tennessee, but was unable to get that seat and decided, I've had enough of politics. So Senator Harold Ford will be, uh, excuse me, uh, former Congressman Harold Ford will be with us shortly. And then I'll take your calls at one 408 7669 And I'm going to hear from two prominent Af- Americans, and we'll play his, their cuts now about Black Lives Matter and what the truth is and why it was so risky for them to speak out and have they paid the price. Harold Ford next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So a lot we need to do to provide more and better options, particularly for young people in Harlem, in Upper Manhattan and a group of committed community leaders of and by and for the community who are ready to do this work with this administration, with the NYPD. We'll have more to say on that in the next few days, but a lot will be done preparing for this weekend to change the reality on the ground. Uh, That is Mayor de Blasio talking but saying nothing as crime rages in New York City before our eyes, from the safest city to one of the most dangerous cities, maybe top three most dangerous cities in the country. Okay, Seattle, Portland, Chicago, Atlanta, and then maybe New York. A guy who lives here, also lived in the South in Tennessee, Harold Ford Jr. joins us now. I hope he runs for mayor. I know he would do an incredible job. Harold, welcome back. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I hope your family and, and everybody's well and safe. And, you know, I, I would say that generically to you if we were in the middle of a pandemic and if you weren't in Manhattan. Are, are you safe? Do you feel good about your neighborhood? Uh, we do. Um, I tell you, I, I'm, the thing that alarms me the most, I mean, you're leading here with, with the, the crime rates rising. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to hear the mayor talk about taking additional and stronger steps. Um, I, would, I would love to hear him and others talk a little more forcefully about how we, we, we've got to end this language and end this push to defund the police and begin to talk about ways to strengthen and, and, and reconstitute and, 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 and reconstitute relationships between the police in certain neighborhoods and communities, really the entire community, especially African-Americans and others. Uh, but I'm, I'm at least encouraged to hear him talk uh, about things we need to be doing a lot better in the city. Um but we, we've got a lot to do, uh, not just in New York, but around the country. I'll I tell you what I'm most alarmed about, Brian. I watched your show this morning. I watched you on TV this morning. As usual, you were good. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about this, this rise in some of these death rates in a couple of these states, Florida, Texas, and Arizona in particular, although they're not as elevated as they once were in New York. Uh, and nationally, the trend is coming down in terms of hospitalizations and mortality rates. But I think we need to be careful about the language we use around wearing masks. And I, mean, I hope that everybody knows that real men and real women wear masks uh, when they're out and uh, that it saves lives. But I'll let you ask the question. I got off one another. Yeah, no, I definitely get into coronavirus, too. But you knew in the city, you probably didn't know you're too young. 
Um, I, and I didn't live in the city at the time either. But when it was out of control, where when you drove into the city, you just said, you can't go in a nice car. You can't have a nice stereo. It will be stolen. Squeegee guys would come up to you and say, I'm washing your windows, and you're going to give me five or ten bucks. And there was nothing really you could do. And then 42nd Street, you can't be a kid and walk down 42nd Street. And what happened over the last 25 years is uh, through great policing and great uh, mayoral leadership from Bloomberg in three terms and uh, two with uh, Rudy Giuliani, the thing just straightened out. And we're watching it fall apart before our eyes. And the people that are being vilified are the ones that tourists used to take pictures with. The NYPD. Here's Ray Kelly, who had so much to do with that success in two separate stints as a police commissioner in Cut 20. I've been around a long time. I certainly was around in the, uh, in the 70s and the 80s and a lot of indicators now that we're going to go back in that direction. That Bail Reform Act, by the way, could be strengthened, could be changed very easily just by giving judges the discretion to keep people in custody who are dangerous to society. Virtually every state in the United States has that provision, except New York and the New York State Legislature will not uh, do this. So, yeah, the future is not good. And they blame de Blasio, cut 21. New York is the safest big city in America for several decades. A lot of hard work done by a lot of people. I lay the problems in New York City solely at the feet of Bill de Blasio. He has eviscerated the the police department, just as you said. One of the most important and significant things he did was to eliminate the anti-crime units throughout the the city. They are the real crime fighters. They're the ones that have been able to address violent crime for several decades in, in New York City. That unit is gone. The police are demoralized. Retirements are at, at record levels. And the future is, quite frankly, very bleak in New York, certainly for the next 18 months under the de Blasio administration. It's all correctable and it's all self-inflicted. But he's, he's right. The, the, the Bell reform, the former chief, uh, former Commissioner Kelly's right about the Bell reform matter. I mean, that, that seems to me we, we've had some time to examine that. I, I was not. In, in, in support of, I was in support of the the, the, the sentiment, but the, the actual law seems to have gone overboard. And certainly, as it's been implemented, it doesn't seem to be having the the, uh, the exact effect we want. But the, the good thing about some of these things, Brian, is, is that these fixes are these, these problems are fixable. Excuse me, and you said it well at the top of the top of this question that it takes leadership, police leadership, political leadership, and we seem to be lacking in the political leadership department uh, and. Again, I, I always try to see the positive in some of these things, and I'm, I'm just—I've not been pleased with some of the leadership of uh, Mayor De Blasio around this particular issue and issues around this over the last several months. But I am encouraged to hear him say that he's taking a hard look and he's prepared to take steps. And hopefully, one of those steps is to encourage the state uh, and the legislature and the governor to change this bail reform law. So let me ask him as. As an African-American, do you feel as though law enforcement has to be addressed? And are, do you feel as though we're on the right track to doing that? Or have we gotten off track if you, in fact, feel it has to be addressed? Well, I do think it has to be addressed. I mean, I think that the, those of us who are calling for, and I'm part of a group of, a group of, of, of men and women in New York who have been supportive of uh, the New York Police Department uh, and has at the same time raised concerns about and, raised, uh, and been supportive of efforts to reform it. Uh, when you have a big community of people, if not a plurality of people in your city who are concerned and may fear times when they see police officers, 
whether it's right or wrong, that issue needs to be addressed. Uh, and I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination that the majority of police officers are bad or bad cops. But I do think it would behoove uh, some in police unions around the country to uh, acknowledge that steps need to be taken to remove bad officers from, from forces around the country. Uh, there's a terrible story or an alarming story in the Wall Street Journal this morning on the front page about the Minneapolis police union chief. Now, I don't always believe everything I read in the newspaper because I've had things written about me that were patently false. But the story lays out a series of things about the police union chief there in Minneapolis and perhaps some complaints he's had in the past uh, as a police officer. And I'd be curious to hear him answer these, these, these things. Again, I don't believe every article, but I certainly would love to hear him answer some of these questions. So in there's certain police forces, yeah, we have to clean, clean, clean things up. And it would be good to hear the police chiefs and the police union chiefs in some of these areas say that bad cops must go, just as those of us are saying that, that the effort to defund the police is silly, counterproductive. And frankly, a lot of my liberal friends who want to abolish or defund the police I would encourage him to move in the neighborhoods where crime rates and death rates are high and see how much they enjoy not being able to call a police officer to enforce the law. It just bothers me when uh, police officers say, I do not walk around with my uniform to work. I, I make sure to get chains in the locker room. I don't want the looks and the derision and some fear when they go to work. Instead of walking around with pride as you, as you start your shift, they're worried about people finding out what they do for a living. And I'm saying to myself, how did that happen? At the same time, being open to the fact that I don't know everything about policing and there, there might be some great things that we could do to reform it, but law enforcement deserves a seat at the table. So I also thought well, about I, you. I, I totally Go ahead. Agree. I totally agree. No, I totally agree with you. I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. A um, couple of things. The Black Lives Matter movement. Are you on board? I, I am. I, and and a, lot of, a lot of the sentiment I am. I think that this is forcing a bigger conversation in the country around um, black Americans who feel left out of a larger, of a larger American story. Now, um, that doesn't mean that it's altogether all the time true, but you take one example of just the economics in the country. I read a, a story the other day that said that between 1920 and 1962, uh, the home mortgage market in the country, which was virtually all backed by the federal government, that for 40 plus years, 99% of all the loans in the country went to white borrowers. Now, that was a time in our country which Jim Crow and the civil rights era uh, uh, began to grow up and the civil rights movement began to grow up. I think these are issues and matters we have to consider when we hear some of the concerns being raised by uh, many in this movement. Now, there's, there's, there's certainly little doubt that some of the Black Lives Matter movement is unorganized and that there's some in that movement who uh, may be sprouting a certain set of messages that I don't agree with and I don't think are productive, like tearing down monuments of Christopher Columbus and Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and even Thomas Jefferson and most recently Frederick Douglass, I think a lot of that is misguided. Uh, I do think taking down Confederate statues is something we should do, but that's not the focus in my mind of what this, of what this effort should be about. It should be about reforming police, policing. It should be about reforming opportunity. There was also a story, as you probably saw this morning, Brian, in the, in the front of the journal, where it said that the two largest banks in the country by assets, Bank of America and J.P. Morgan, are going to split maybe as high as some $2.5 billion in fees for processing loans to hard-hit businesses hurt by the coronavirus. Now, I don't have a problem with them making money, but the banks didn't take any risk. The risk was borne by us taxpayers because if these small businesses don't 
pay back if they don't follow the rules of the loan and end up having to pay it back. It's the taxpayer that's on the hook. But the banks probably deserve some sort of fee. But these are the kinds of things I think when I think of the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the things that, that they're pushing and some of the things they want to see addressed, Brian, these are the things that I think of. And I, right. again, there's some unsavory parts of it, which I think we have to address. But by and large, I agree with some of the things that are being talked about. Right. And I agree more importantly with the conversation that it's forcing in the country. But you know uh, that I care a lot about the race situation in this country. We've talked a lot off camera, off mic about it. And, and you're writing a I have, book about I, it. I, yeah. And I, I love I want to learn about it. And when the George Floyd situation happened, I said, okay, here we go. Let's dig in on this. What you just said about loans. Let's dig in on this. Uh, redlining. Let's dig in on this. But when I'm going to burn this place down and we are a country that was born on slavery and uh, well, there was slavery, absolutely, but there was so much good to this country, and we constantly got better. I always thought it was going to be to a place of, we all love the country, let's make it better, as opposed to, I hate this country, uh, how, why are we here? And Terry Crews is a, is a respected actor, former football player, host of everyone's uh, America's Got Talent. And uh, he came out and he says, I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to die on the hill that black lives matter, all lives matter. And to paraphrase, he said, not all white people are bad. Not all black people are good. And believe it or not, that's controversial. He dug in on another channel on this. And here's a little of that. Cut 44. I don't want to move from one oppressor to the next. And one thing really who's, a, who's the next oppressor? At- who's the next oppressor? When I when I describe this, when you look in the city of Chicago, there are nine children who've died by gun violence, by black on black gun violence with uh, from June 20th all the way to today. And you're talking about even with the Atlanta child murders, there were 28 kids who were, who died during, in two years. You're talking about a month and you have nine black kids and the Black Lives Matter movement has said nothing. So his point is. Let's get this. Let's just not focus on po- uh, policing and po- cop brutality, police brutality on African Americans. He wants to see this thing expanded, and it should outrage Black Lives Matter just as much. Look, I, I don't, I don't profess to be an officer in the Black Lives Matter movement. I, I think that some of the things they're raising are important. I also think with Terry Crews, uh, uh, what he also said, or what he said also, is incredibly important. I mean, we every night long before. Uh, you know, we, we focus on some of the things that, that are uh, spectacularly bad and spectacularly offensive, uh, including the Ar- Ahmaud Arbery and the George Floyds and the Leona, the young lady down in Louisville, Kentucky, um, or Breonna, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor. Th- th- these kind of violence, this kind of violence is happening in American cities every night, and oftentimes it's exactly what Terry Crews said. I mean, these are the things that we as a nation, not just black Americans, but we as a nation uh, ought, to be, ought to be outraged about. So I, I agree with him. I don't I don't you know, I, I can only echo his point. I think that but I don't think I didn't interpret what he said there. Maybe I didn't hear the whole clip. I don't think he was saying we don't need to focus on Black Lives Matter. I think he said, look, everybody's not right on the black side. Everybody's not right on the white side, just like everybody's not right on the police side. And everybody's not right on the side who's calling for reforms of the police. Right. So, I, so, I agree with him. so I'll show you the follow up. Cut 45. I don't understand what that has to do with equality because they're, I don't understand what that has to do with a movement that's for equality for black people, it's it, it, there. It's not mutually exclusive that if you care about equality for black people, that somehow you're going to stop um, random violence or, unfortunately, kids from being shot. It just seems like apples and oranges. 
and I listen to this, I don't think it's apples and oranges, but maybe I'm wrong. Do you think it's apples and oranges? No. I mean, look, I, 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 it sounded like I couldn't say it. sounds like Don Lemon it might have been on CNN. But I, I think that people are very passionate about this issue. No, let, me, let me answer your question. No, I don't, I don't think they're apples and oranges. I think they all go together. When you're talking about young black kids uh, being killed, you don't, you don't say one. And I'm, I'm certain that Don wasn't saying this, but I, I think one could argue that one is saying that it's, it's better if someone, this group kills them or that group kills them. You're grading the, the kind of the way the deaths may happen. And I don't. Um, I mean, what I hope the Black Lives Matter conversation forces is a is a reexamination of all of this. I mean, it's some of the conversation, whenever you reexamine something, you know, things get uncomfortable um, um, for the people who believe they're in the right in making their case and for people who are who they're arguing against. So if this forces us, Brian, to have a bigger conversation around how do we solve these problems, all of these issues, and whether you want to call it apples and apples or oranges and oranges, and frankly, I like both of those fruits, I think it's important that we have that bigger conversation. So I'm not, I'm not offended by either Don nor, nor Terry Cruz. I'm glad they're having the conversation. I'm glad that Terry, I didn't see the the exchange between the two of them. I'm glad they had that exchange. Yeah. Terry's getting a lot of blowback. I've only met him a couple of times. Seems like a great guy. Uh, Harold, I hope you run for mayor. You were very kind, brother. I hope you do it. <laughs> Harold Ford Jr. I'll talk to my wife about that. All right. I'll talk to her. Uh, back in, <laughs> thank you. Uh, back in a moment with your calls. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I always love talking to uh, Harold Ford. Uh, Dale, listening on KMZE in Woodward, Oklahoma. Hey, Dale. Hey. uh, Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was a deputy sheriff for Texas uh, County in uh, Guymon, Oklahoma, and I went through cleat training and one of the things that, that I've seen, it was the problem with people escalating through resisting arrest. And uh, I don't think it has anything to do with racism, uh, white or black, uh, whatever color you are. It's whenever you resist arrest, right. that, that is what the problem is, and that's what leads 99% of the time it's not because of race. So in your case, particularly, you looked at Atlanta. What did you think about the Atlanta situation? Oh, I wouldn't even live there. But, I mean, when you saw that uh, he had fallen asleep in a, in a Wendy's line, they, uh, yeah. they tried to explain to him they drank too much and failed the test, and they tried to put cuffs on him. And next thing you know, yeah. he steals the, the taser and ran. What would you have done? Well, personally, uh, we could have picked him up later. I, I don't think I would have shot him. We knew who he was. Uh, the, the taser was uh, discharged. And uh, basically, uh, we, you know, I would have let him go. Good. And then we would have... Uh, Found him later. Because you had his name, yeah. you already ran it. Yeah, uh, that would be it. And, man, we'd be a lot better off today on everyone from the cop to the suspect on down. 
But I'm very curious if people who go, go to the academy know law enforcement say that as opposed to people on the outside who haven't lived it. Thanks so much, Dale. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. If you want to learn about history, pick up any of the books. I'll sign them and send them. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss this hour, as well as welcome in Matt Schlapp at the bottom of the hour. He's a representative, of course, of, he's as respected as anyone in the Republican Party, uh, level head chairman of the American Conservative Union, CPAC, and former deputy assistant to President George W. Bush. President of the United States is going to have a big day today. He's going to meet with the president of Mexico, Arbador, and many people thought, wow, the president's really going to wrestle with Mexico through his four years because after all, he talked about building a wall and he he talked about cracking down on illegal immigrants. Well, when you looked at the numbers, you realize most of the people coming across were not Mexican. They were passing through Mexico's uh, country, causing havoc there. And they've worked so well together, they actually came up with a trade agreement to replace NAFTA. You know who's not there? The Canadian leader. So uh, Abrador makes his uh, first face-to-face appearance, I believe, in meeting uh, President Trump for the first time. Uh, Trudeau will not be there. And I think it's because of his personal disdain for the president. They do not get along. Remember him bad-mouthing the president behind his back at the last G7 event. And there'll be a G7, we believe, uh, in September uh, in America. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, I think it's a tough situation for everybody. I talked to a lot of guys across the league, and they're they're texting me a lot. I'm not going to name any names, but just they're all thinking the same thing. Is this, is this going to work? We just got to stay safe and obviously be as cautious as we can. Mike Trout, best player in baseball, standing up sports. Kids beginning to play again, have you noticed? Baseball about to start. They're in uh, practicing at their stadiums right now. And football making final preparations. Are we ready for sports? And do you believe we will finish what we start? Let's discuss it. Number two. There are some very militant type forces in Black Lives Matter who are now talking about, you know, if we don't get our demands, we're going to burn it down. And I viewed it as a very, very dangerous self-righteousness. Terry Crews, outstanding actor, former football player, talking about Black Lives Matter. Not comfortable with it. Law and order in America and the BLM debate. What's it going to take to bring peace to our streets? And as you heard, Terry Crews said in his words, I'm dying on that hill. To me, it's logical racial justice. As the retired footballer turned sportscaster Marcus Wiley also says something similar. Are they right to stand up and speak out? And is their message one you can sign on to? Number one. And we hope that most... Schools are going to be open. We don't want people to make political statements or do it for political reasons. I think it's going to be good for them politically, so they keep the schools closed. No way. So we're very much going to put pressure on governors and everybody else to open the schools. I hear you, Mr. President. Coronavirus hurdles remain at 4S40 State Show. A rise in cases. Challenges exist in Texas, Arizona, 
Florida, California. But the president says schools must open, and I agree. Plus, the U.S. officially leaves the WHO, the World Health Organization, after they showed they were more focused on protecting China than the world. Do you know something else came out? The WHO admitted that they found out about these Chinese Wuhan virus on the Internet. Do you believe that? So China didn't even call up and, I guess, soft pedal it. They didn't come up and say, maybe I need some help. They had to find out about the Internet because of this scrambling and because of some of the indicators for the these health experts to realize there's something going on again in China. I think they're eating bats or whatever they're doing. Meanwhile, the whole world's been sick by it. As you see, 40 states with the numbers going up. We all know that that's, uh, that's problematic. I have no problem with us leaving the WHO. It forces that organization to be accountable. We should never have stood by in retrospect and allowed this a uh, Chinese-centric leader to take over the WHO. They basically are running the entire thing, yet that's where most of the viruses come from, that country. While they're one of the first to recover because of the oppressive tactics in which they put on their people, they basically locked down an entire city and told them, well, feed you, don't move. That'll never happen here. Michael McCall, congressman from Texas, cut 10. Well, I think the president's sending a message. It's a one-year notification, so in, in a sense, uh, Tracy's putting them on probation until they can get their act together. I think we need a leader at the WHO who cares more about global health than appeasing the Chinese Communist Party, uh, which is what Director General Tedros is. He was their candidate to lead the World Health Organization. The president's correct. And that was uh, two previous administrations there. So they're not looking out for us. So he wants people accountable. And the president's saying, look, I don't like these alliances. I don't like the Paris Accord. I hated the Iranian deal. I told you about that. And, and this, when we found out details, why are, we playing, why are we paying full freight? Nine times more than everybody else. But there's ramifications to that. It looks like we're going it alone. And for the most part, there's a price to pay for that, it, uh, the family of nations, so to speak. Maybe we're better off getting in there and changing it, but uh, perhaps they felt very frustrated by that. Among the people upset by it, Senator Menendez is upset by it. Other Democrats are saying that. Joe Biden says, as soon as I take over, I'm going back in. Really? Do you have any standards at all? Aren't you going to demand accountability next time? Aren't you going to point out where they failed this time? So you have the story when it's school. This is a story that even if you're 80 years old and you're just paying taxes, you can relate to. Maybe you have grandchildren. Maybe you're personally affected. Maybe you're driving right now in, in a car and you're hoping to get back in college. Those days of hating school are over. Most people miss it. And if not the actual schoolwork, the interaction, socializing. And if you're a business and you deliver food to schools, you care. If you have a business and kids can eat out during lunch, you care. If you are somebody that wants to learn or at least wants to achieve, you know it doesn't work on a laptop. And all the studies show. And it's hardest on teachers. They have to adjust. they got to be ready 24-7. I don't know how these elementary school teachers do it. They're teaching to spell, write, read, and try to get kids. When you see them eye to eye, it's tough to keep their attention. Can you imagine a laptop? And a lot of them are empty chairs. And when they call the parents, the parents aren't there. So this has got to stop. And this is what I'm saying. I know cases are going up in 40 states. And by the time September rolls around, maybe 40 will be going down and 20 will be going up. Assume they're going to be a challenge. Assume the pandemic's still going to take place. And then at the same time, tell me the protocols that's going to make school happen. You cannot in America throw up your hands and say, I quit in June or July. 
In America, we get things done. If you ever talk to somebody in the military that's effective, they don't care about the bridge or the stream they got to cancel uh, that is blown up or the stream that goes right through uh, their mission. They find a way to get through it, get over it. If they don't have enough men, they try to do something different. If, uh, if they need more cargo flights, they try to find another way. That's the attitude we have to have. And sadly, I think the president's right. I think some of these states are saying, you know what? I'm going to hold my kids out of here a few more months. And this way, this country's going to be such a, such a sense of unrest. They're going to want a President Biden. And the president's trailing right now. And he sees politics in this. Cut 12. It's time to be open. It's time to stay open. And we will put out the fires as they come up. But we have to open our schools. It's so important to open our schools. And what you said, from a psychological standpoint, with respect to staying home any longer, you can't do it. You can't do it. That has great dangers also. So that's where we are. We're not closing. We'll never close. And you keep saying, so people at home, and if you're a teacher, you might be saying, well, I'm looking at short-sighted. I'm not in school. Well, number one, it's hard for kids to get it. When they get it, it's hard for them to transfer it. Not impossible. It's not impossible that some of them get very sick, but it's very, 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 very rare. And when you look at the collective country of all these kids and all their suffering and their sacrifice and a college that's going to learn at home and the tuitions that are not going to be, tuition checks that are not going to be written and houses that won't be rented and dorms that won't be full and sports teams that are going to collapse, you say, not worth staying home. Life is full of risks. This is one of them to a degree. And for those who say it's scientists first, here's Dr. Robert Regfield. Now, he's a little monotone. He's been on before. And he's saying, look, I'm the scientist, and I say go. Cut 17. CDC encourages all schools, all schools, uh, to do what they need to reopen. Uh, and to have plans that anticipate that the COVID-19 cases will, in fact, occur. When I look at it, I think it's important that the guidance that we've put out, as the Secretary mentioned, is guidance. And I want people to see it as guidance to reopen. So how do you feel about that? Are you for reopening schools? 1-866-408-7669. Next, Black Lives Matter. You know, when people used to think, I want to help those wounded in battle, they used to say wounded warriors. I'm going to give money to wounded warriors. It was, it was like saying cola. I, I like uh, soda, you know. But Wounded Warriors is an organization I spoke with for 10 years, and they were wrongly accused of corruption. They weren't corrupt. Having said that, a lot of people say, yeah, I'm not going to give to the organization. There's too much given to overhead, not enough given to the men and women who serve. And I said, okay. So they gave to other organizations. They didn't say soldiers didn't matter. They said Wounded Warrior Project, I'm not going to put money into that. Now, it was wrong to do that. The organization is fine. It's great. Never been better. But they decided to put into Folds of Honor or, or, the, or um, Tunnel to Towers. It's fine. It doesn't mean you stop caring about first responders and soldiers. So if you say Black Lives Matter, yeah, but I don't like the organization, it doesn't mean that you don't sincerely want to make things better with the race in this country. And for me to say it, it's marginal and people say, well, you know, what is this guy saying that? How dare he say that? But if you look at Black Lives Matter, it's an organization that started a few years ago. And some of their views don't necessarily go through, let's say, mainstream views. And that occurred to Marcus Wiley, former uh, NFLer turned sportscaster. Listen to his view on Black Lives Matter and this one viral, Cut 27. 
There's a problem with when you start to go down this road of the freedom of expression, freedom of speech, how much social space is allowed for those who don't support in that same space. We know what identity politics does. It divides and it polarizes. I don't know how many people really look into the mission statement of Black Lives Matter. Being a father and a husband, that's my mission in life right now. How do I reconcile that with this mission statement that says, quote, we dismantle the patriarchal practice. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. I respect what you're protesting for, but will you respect others who don't support that same protest? So that caused uproar. So really, he, he went on to say, I, I've been fighting for black lives since I was born, 1974. Uh, this group came in 2013. I know how to fight for it, and I'm all pro-family. I'm for nuclear family. He read through the stats of how much better off you are in life if you come from a family of a, of a mom and a dad or a two-person family, a nuclear family. And he said you're less like, likely to commit crime, end up in prison. You're most likely to go to college, and he just runs through them. These are stats. These are facts. And he's saying that if you don't emphasize the family, black lives – Matter as an organization doesn't do that. He can't sign on to it. And everyone was kind of frozen in time. Terry Crews had something similar to say. And he got all this backlash. Terry Crews, former footballer, I understand, who uh, has had a lot of success acting. And I've met him a couple times. Great guy. And he basically says, I'm not for this Black Lives Matter. I'm pro-family. I don't think every black person's great. And I don't think every white person's bad. He says, I have people all across and all ethnic groups in my family. So he went on with Don Lemon to defend himself. Cut 43. Terry, you realize that even during the civil rights movement that uh, Dr. King was seen as extreme. That movement was seen as extreme. To people who don't want to make change, um, movements are seen as extreme. You can paint them easily as an extreme when they are not. And here's Cruz, cut 44. I don't want to move from one oppressor to the next. And one thing is really who's, shocks who's me the next oppressor? At- who's the next oppressor? Oh. When I when I describe this, when you look in the city of Chicago, there are nine children who died by gun violence, by black on black gun violence with from June 20th all the way to today. And you're talking about even with the Atlanta child murders, there were 28 kids who were who died during in two years. You're talking about a month and you have nine black kids. And the Black Lives Matter movement has said nothing. Nothing. All right. Uh, it bothers him. It made me wonder, too. If you saw Al Sharpton in Chicago and then you also saw him in Minneapolis, I think Al Sharpton would water his constituency. Cut 45. I don't understand what that has to do with equality because they're, I don't understand what that has to do with a movement that's for equality for black people. It's, it, it, there, it's not mutually exclusive that if you care about equality for black people that somehow you're going to stop um, random violence or unfortunately kids from being shot. It just seems like apples and oranges. How, how could that be apples and oranges? Black Lives Matter. That means uh, 77 shot, I think, over the weekend in Chicago. I think under just under 20 dead, many of which are children. Terry Crews, cut 29. When you have the leaders of the Black Lives Movement who are now talking about, you know, if we don't get our demands, we're going to burn it down. Uh, other black people who are talking about working with other whites and other uh, other races, they're, they're being viewed as sellouts or called Uncle Toms. It starts to, starts to, you start to understand that you are now 
you know, being controlled. You're not being treated as loved. You're actually being controlled. Someone wants to control the narrative. And I viewed it as a very, very dangerous self-righteousness that was developing that, you know, that, that really viewed themselves as better. It was an, almost a supremacist move. So how do you feel about that? Uh, we'll get your take. one 408 I'll take your calls next. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. I have a few more minutes. I went a little long in the A block, but let's go out to Barry. Listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Barry. Hey, Brian. Love your show. Thanks for telling the truth. Thank I've you. got a nickname for you. You are the BK Broiler because you uh, light the liberals' head on fire. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Next time you're with Mr. Trump, suggest that he needs to talk about, instead of Make America Great Again from 2016, I'd love, he would win this thing going away. Trump keeping the American way. Because that's what's at stake in this election. Well, he might need a new slogan because the pandemic kind of slammed Keep America Great. It's bringing it, it's really bringing it back again because the yeah. pandemic just really destroyed it. Uh, so you really think race, you, you were talking about race relations? Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, heard an interview that Bill Bennett did with a uh, PhD researcher. He was a black man on race. And the statistics do not bear out um, white cops shooting black men. But what what is happening is that, and this man said it happened to him when he was younger, is that black men are always considered guilty. And uh, he used an example uh, that happened to him where um, a crime had occurred and the description was of a black man. They stopped him, guns drawn and everything. And then he found out later that the only thing that he had in common was he was black. So I think I think there might be something to that, that underneath it all is um, black people are considered guilty, whether it be a auto stop or something of that yeah, nature. I know. And uh, um, I, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, Barry, it's just anecdotal, though. Uh, I can't really say that. I'd like to see some stats on that. And then you talk to a police officer and they say, absolutely, just reflects on the neighborhood I'm in and what I have to work. I have no bias towards anybody's skin color. It's just the area and what usually happens here and where the people are found maybe at the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, so I'd like to get your perspective. one 408 7669 I'm going to talk to Match Lap about what the administration has to do next. Right now, on most polls, Donald Trump's trailing. Can he turn it around in the next few months like he did four years ago? I'll ask Matt that and so much more. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show, and then we'll open up the phones and give away some books. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And one of the things you do is to point out to people that you made America great, to use his term in the first place. You could do it again. Um, if, if Joe Biden has a history of anything, it's not being able to get the country out of a slow economy. They had eight years under President Obama and Vice President Biden to do that, and it didn't work. So if the president can go back to drawing those contrasts between him and Joe Biden, that becomes a, 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 a race between Trump and Biden. I think the president does extraordinarily well. He shows people, look, if you if you hire me, this is what you get. If you hire him, you end up with no jobs. If it ends up being a popularity contest or worse, a referendum on President Trump, I think he's got some real some real headwinds to face. And that's his former chief of staff and OMB director who I know is a fan and wants to see him reelected. Does Matt Schlapp feel the same way? He's chairman of uh, CPAC and assistant former assistant to President George W. Bush whose wife is a key member of the Bush reelect team and, excuse me, the Trump reelect team. Matt, welcome back. Do you agree with uh, Mick Mulvaney? Yes, Brian, great to be with you. And what I would say is we'll rebuild it again. That's our theme, which is we did it once. Nature intervened with this pandemic and then an economic shutdown and the left did everything they could to foment race riots. And now the American people have before them this question. Do you want to put it all back together again, put the economy back together, take the fight to China and uh, and rekindle the spirit we had before the pandemic hit us? Do you believe uh that the administration, excuse me, the administration and the reelect team has settled on a theme for the I don't next think they months. have yet. I think they're, look, I think one of the reasons why Twitter is so interesting is it's almost like a live test for the president to determine what works. I think the reason why the rallies, one of the reasons why the rallies were so useful to the president is, is that he would try out different lines and see what worked. He really experiments on his message in, in you know, live, uh, which is so atypical because most presidents keep all that well hidden. And uh, so I think they're still kind of fudging around with what it could be working on it, but I like this idea. Um, we'll build it again. And uh, and I think people understand that. He's a builder. Um, they like the economic decisions he made. Even people who don't love everything about Trump really loved the lowest unemployment rate for African-Americans, yeah. uh, historic lows for Hispanics and women, and the idea that our economy was as vigorous as it really has ever been in our history. Uh, and look, it's policies that will get us back there. And it's his policies, these free market policies that will get us there. So uh, I, I think the American people are still concerned. They're still a little bit in a state of shock, but they realize it's time to make sound decisions. Do you feel there's a risk with the president saying we're going to work through the virus while seniors, knowing that seniors are most at risk and that he, if he's going to work through the virus, it could cost lives. We've already lost 125,000 lives. Do you feel as though that message of let's, let's roll up our sleeves and work through it is giving seniors the wrong message, which might explain why he seems to be bleeding support in that area? No, I think the polls, people are worried about the poll numbers and the extent to which there's been slippage. It's actually been slippage a little bit maybe with Republicans, uh, maybe a little bit with seniors, and maybe a little bit with women as they looked at the president's very tough rhetoric on the violence. And, uh, you know, once again, it kind of shocks people when they hear that. But I think as, uh, you know, these radicalized groups that hate America, that are trying to rip America apart, they want to literally restart America. 
America in this radicalized Marxist image. I think the more women understand how radicalized, like the Black Lives Matter founders and leaders are, I think they're going to fall back to this idea that we need to be secure, our families need to be safe, and my kids and grandkids need to have economic security and have a job. And so I think you will see that support uh, come right back. I think the same thing is true with Republicans who were concerned, you know, so much of the coverage is somehow the president has been too harsh on questions of race, but literally the president's response to the murder of George Floyd, I think was pitch perfect. His tweets were right. And the left just tried to use this terrible tragedy as a way to foment racial animosity. And we now we have murder in the streets all over the country in these big cities. You know how unsafe New York is becoming so rapidly. And the Trump approach to saying, look, we gotta we gotta follow the law. It's no time to attack the cops. Yes, cops could get more training and if there are bad cops, we gotta get them out of there. But that doesn't mean that the other ninety nine percent of cops should be destroyed by these left wing agitators. So I I think the issues are laying down quite well for President Trump. I think the Democratic Party has never been so radicalized ever. They've become a socialist party, and now they're even a more radicalized uh, party than the socialist parties in Western Europe. And I think the American people are, are with me, or I'm with them. I think there's a, there is a vast majority of people that don't want to say that they're for Trump because so many people then immediately start calling them a racist and try to punish them professionally. Uh, but they're with them. They're with them double. And I think that dynamic will be bigger this time. So I, there's a couple of things. They, the, uh, I guess you could say radical left or you could say uh, left wing future leaders of the party came out with uh, we can breathe statements. They want to radically revamp our government. And here is Elon Omar, a member of the squad who led this march. Here's a little of what she thinks. Cut 24. As long as our economy and political systems prioritize profit without considering who is profiting, who is being shut out, we will perpetuate this inequality. So we cannot stop at criminal justice system. We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. So I'm looking forward to just getting rid of oppression. I thought that's why people came to this country, to run from oppression, where she might have come to this country as opposed to staying in Mogadishu. What's your response? Why are we, why are we accepting people into this country who hate this country, who I don't, don't believe in anything it stands for? Uh, what she just described in, boy, less than 100 words is the English version of what Fidel Castro said in Cuba or the English version of what uh, Chavez said in Venezuela. It sounds like Karl Marx. It sounds like Engels. It sounds like the most radicalized communists. Uh, and she's in the House of Representatives. She's an elected official. She's she's benefiting from this beautiful, open society with the rule of law, with acceptance, tolerance, and immigration, legal immigration. She's, she's benefited from all that, but yet she hates America. That's what we're realizing from these Democrats. This is a new thing. They, when they say they want, when Obama said he wanted to transform America, I don't think many of us, maybe I didn't realize, I was probably in a stupor too. I didn't realize what transform meant. Transform means fundamentally change. Why would you try to fundamentally change the best country that's ever been on the globe? I can understand wanting to improve it. 
it. Let me tell you, I'm a pro-life guy. I hate the fact that we kill millions of unborn children a year. There's lots of things about America I want to improve that I'm worried about, but I don't want to take it all down. I don't want to burn it down. These people want to take it down. They think it's so rotten that it can't be salvaged, and uh, and we've got to start calling it out. I, 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 I'm going to chastise myself. I've been too quiet. I've given them the benefit of the doubt. I've said, well, maybe they actually love America. They just have a different vision. No. When you're ripping down statues and egging on the mob to rip down statues of our heroes, of our founders, you can't love America. And we asked this question at CPAC. It was America versus socialism is our theme. And underneath this is this question, could you be a Marxist and really be an America in the understanding of our founders? And I've come to the conclusion that I think those two things don't fit together. So the president could do the best he can to adequately make Joe Biden answer the question, is he for... Uh, uh, was his he for establishing a grant to promote environmental justice? Is he for abolishing state gang databases? Is he for abolishing the use of electronic monitoring and including ankle monitors? Is he for a 50% federal match of local savings from shutting down jails and prisons? Is he for making grants to local jurisdictions to decarcerate their jails and defund their police forces and eliminating the DA and ICE? This is what put this is what's called the Breathe Act, which might be getting momentum in Nancy Pelosi's house. So if you are the president and you have a 77 year old opponent that never said any of these things, but is in a party that has these things, how do you link the two? Well, this is really a weekend at Bernie's moment. And for those who didn't see the movie, but it's about a a guy who basically dies and uh, he's propped up on a hand truck because they, they got to keep him alive to enjoy the beauties in, uh, of his house and his finances. And in this case, Joe Biden is alive, but he's not all there. And he's not going to run the show. So as soon as if Joe Biden were to win, the first thing they're going to do is get rid of the filibuster in the Senate. So everything becomes law that we fear, including D.C. statehood, uh, Puerto Rico statehood, every everything you can imagine under the sun. Not because those are the right things for those people, but just to add to their votes. Then this proxy voting, they're going to put it on steroids. It won't be that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi get 10 or so in the House anyway, uh, they'll make it 25. So you just need a couple of voters in support of something, and it becomes law. Then they're going to pack the court, which they can do uh, without a constitutional amendment. They're going to pack that court, um, and uh, and they'll, get, they'll, they'll pack it so big that they'll win on every issue. And I'm telling you something. I can't believe I'm saying this. We will never recognize America again, and we'll never be able to undo the damage. It was one thing when you had a Democratic Party that served in the military, that loved the police. They were ethnic in nature, and uh, and they just believed in slightly bigger government. That that's where we were. We are not there anymore. We're with a Democratic Party that is propping up an old man to try to beat Donald Trump, but behind it is breathless radicalism that doesn't like America. That wants to change everything about America, and they will succeed. They have the ability to do it. The roadmap is there. Get it out of your head that somehow enough Republican senators were stopped this. We don't even have enough Republican senators speaking up against the uh, the intolerant, angry, radical, violent mob. Uh, they will be able to implement all the change that they've wanted to for the last 50 years. And if Donald Trump doesn't win, it'll happen. It'll happen. I guarantee it'll happen. I mean, been, I'm still worried about outlined? it. I wonder if uh, what to do about it with my kids. Matt, uh, do you think that's been outlined adequately by, I mean... No. 
Uh, no, I, I'm going to start to do it more aggressively because it's really been hitting me that, um, you know, you think, well, you have 41 Republican senators, you stop it. Well, they're going to get rid of the filibuster. That we They already got rid of it on nominees, which has benefited Donald Trump with um, his Supreme Court and the 200 judges he's picked. So we got the benefit of that in the end. But if there's a Joe Biden president, they'll get the benefit of it, and they're going to expand the size of the court, just like Boop. Pete Buttigieg and these other radicals said during the presidential campaign, just like FDR tried to do, but it was so radical that the country just violently disagreed. But they have said they're going to do it. They are going well, to do it. And they will They will do the most radical things that you could ever imagine. And Matt, uh, there's about 200 former Bush uh, administration people uh, that are yeah. now for Biden. And they say he's a moderate. Yeah. And you know there's a Lincoln Project, all, re- all disenfranchised Republicans who are working against Trump. What's your message to them? And do, how many do you I love know? The Lincoln, I love the Lincoln Project that's literally fanning the f- flames of the radicalized mob, taking down statues of Lincoln and defacing statues of Lincoln. And the Lincoln Project says nothing, because the Lincoln Project has nothing to do with Lincoln, who's my hero and my favorite president. The Lincoln Project is trying to act like they are a legitimate Republican voice. And we know in these polls that over the course of the last uh, three and a half years, the president gets 93 94, 95 percent support amongst conservatives and Republicans. We really don't have a split with Republicans anymore. But in the swamp and in the corridors, uh, the former corridors of power, there are these mediocre nitwits who have kind of pooled together and they've done it because they think Joe Biden will win because they look at a national Gallup poll and they say, oh, Joe Biden's going to win. I have to position myself professionally so that I'm in the hunt and in the game in a Biden administration. So all of this is self-interested. They're either making money or they're propping themselves up to be the Republican in a Biden administration. And the joke's going to be on them, because if you have a President Biden, he's not picking any of these people. He's not using any of these people, because when Ilhan Omar is the secretary of defense and when uh, AOC is the secretary of energy and uh, when the most radical people in the party have all these positions of power in the Joe Biden administration, they're going to have nothing to do with these people. And uh, so I, I hear you, but lastly, I'm up against a break. Are you disappointed when the president tweets it uh, at Bubba Wallace? Uh, I think our stronger argument is to talk about the founders and to talk about Lincoln and to talk about Jesus and Mary and the saints of the church and the fact that they want to be iconoclast with all that. I think a weaker argument is when we talk about the Confederacy, because let's face it, that side lost. And I, But I just think it's for these states to decide, like Nikki Haley did and Tim Scott did in South Carolina. Let the states handle how they want to use uh, the Confederate flag. I think it's a big mistake, though, for the left to say that proud Southerners are racist. And uh, and I and I want to fight that aggressively. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know Bubba Wallace. I think um, I think he should just admit the fact that, you know, for whatever reason, they got this whole story wrong. Um, but NASCAR has the ability to make their decisions. They're a private yep. business. They should make the decisions that they want to make. And it's just like wearing a mask. If the owner of a business says in order to come in my business, you got to wear a mask. I want to respect that owner, just like I yeah. want to respect the cake baker. I think that he nailed that speech on Friday and, and had a great weekend. And I just thought he allowed his critics to get sidetracked by doing something. One of the best speeches yeah. I've heard from a president. It really, yeah. I tell you, it buoyed my spirits 
the people needed to hear and that, so and they wrong. needed to be and proud of so their country. And so wrong saying that he was saluting the Confederacy. There was nothing in the text that said that. And when Bubba Wallace gets on, uh, when it becomes the subject of his Twitter, that becomes the story. And if he if he shows discipline the rest of the way, uh, this is going to be a major comeback. And if he doesn't, Although, Brian, I will say we have to admit the Confederacy is part of the unified American experience. So let's learn the lessons, the good and the bad, as you do in your books. Got it. Uh, always great to talk to you, Matt. Uh, give my best to Mercedes. I know how busy you guys are going to be. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Brian. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You are next. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Terry, listen to WDBO in Orlando. Terry. Hey, Brian. Hey, um, I'd like to go one better than what Terry Cruz said. Um, if Black Lives Matter is really concerned about black lives, why are they in bed with Planned Parenthood when 30 million black babies have been aborted since 1973 and the majority of Planned Parenthood um, clinics are in black neighborhoods. Uh, you know, I, I will say this. I don't know that they're with uh, – I, I have no idea if they're with abortion clinics or not. Uh, Terry, thanks. But I agree, like you, with Terry Crews. Uh, let's go out to Joe in, in Los Angeles. Joe. Hey, listening on the web, but listening to your affiliate KTMS out of Santa Barbara, um, close as I can get you. to you right now. Hey, very simple. Uh, if you listen to the exchange with Terry Cruz and Don Lemon, yep. uh, Terry, uh, Don is trying to convince Terry that the BLM organization's only concern is with uh, police brutality against yes. cops. Now, he's trying to assert that, but apparently Don hasn't done any research on BLM because they are a Marxist organization with an agenda. They've got a mission statement that Terry actually read some of their mission statement. And the fact is, the fact is that I'm actually looking at a picture of Opal Tometi, one of the founders of BLM, posing with Nicolas Maduro. Now, if this is an accurate picture, apparently BLM wants America to enjoy the kind of socialist Marxist paradise paradise where, like Venezuela, we have to eat out of garbage trucks. Right. And two out of three do have a, a Marxist background. But we're still trying to find out what their agenda is. And I think Terry Crews is right, and so is Marcus Wiley, to ask questions. What is wrong with asking questions? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So so much appreciate you being there, allowing the ratings to continue to flourish, allowing the show to continue to grow. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. It's be a big hour. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, John Burlow will be with us, an award-winning journalist, senior fellow of finance and access capital, but author of George Washington, Entrepreneur, How Our Founding Fathers' Private Business Pursuits Changed America and the World. I think we got to reconfigure our base on why we're a country, what George Washington has to do with it. I never thought this would happen. I think there'd be a, somebody laughing when I made a statement like that, but... When you see his hands spray painted on statues in New York City as if there's blood on his hands, if you see people like Tammy Duckworth being struggling to answer whether his statue should come down in America, uh, I think we have to reconfigure where we're coming from, and uh, that's what we're going to do. Vincent Everett Ellison's with us, author of uh, Iron Triangle, a big hit, is somebody with a real sense of being an African American in America, um, African American in America right now. In the era of Black Lives Movement, the BLM movement being the most popular one in the country, do they deserve the accolades? We'll discuss it. And what about those people that want to push back? Are they ready for the backlash? We'll see. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, I think it's a tough situation for everybody. I talked to a lot of guys across the league and they're they're texting me a lot. I'm not going to name any names, but just they're all thinking the same thing. Is this, is this going to work? Uh, we just got to stay safe and obviously be as cautious as we can. Uh, Mike Trout, best player in baseball, standing up in sports. Kids beginning to play again, have you noticed? Baseball about to start, a couple of weeks in football, making final preparations. Are we ready for sports? And do you believe we will finish the season we start? Number two. There are some very militant type forces in Black Lives Matter who are now talking about, you know, if we don't get our demands, we're going to burn it down. And I viewed it as a very, very dangerous self-righteousness. Terry Crews, actor, football player, law and order in America and the BLM movement. What's it going to take to bring peace to our streets? And Terry Crews dying on the hill, his words on logical racial justice. As the retired footballer turned sportscaster Marcus Wiley joins him with speculation and uh, some trepidation about BLM. Are they right to stand up and speak out? And is their message one you can sign on to? Number one. And we hope that most schools are going to be open. We don't want people to make political statements or do it for political reasons. I think it's going to be good for them politically, so they keep the schools closed. No way. So we're very much going to put pressure on governors and everybody else to open the schools. Coronavirus hurdles remain as 40 states show a rise in cases. Challenges exist in hospitals in Texas, Arizona, Florida, and California. But the president says schools must open. I 100% agree. Plus, the U.S. officially leaves the WHO. Are they, uh, they show that they are more focused on China than America and the rest of the world. I have no problem with that. So let's bring in Vincent, uh, Vince Everett Ellison, author of The Iron Triangle. Vince, welcome back. Brian, it's a pleasure. All right, Vince, first off, uh, are race relations getting better in this country? You know what? Uh, People are focusing on the wrong thing here. The the race relations are fine. Black and white people aren't fighting all over America. Uh, The the media is hyping this because this is what the Democrats need to win an election. Look, the Democrats are proud of what they're doing. They're full speed ahead. And as long as they get 90% of the black vote, they're not going to change a thing. With all of this violence in the inner cities and with all of this chaos, they want to defund police, end bail for criminals, uh, continue their assault on religion, uh, encourage a culture of sex, violence, materialism, and victimization. You know, they, 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 they're trapping kids in these terrible schools and, and conservatives are trying to get them out. This is what they want. In my book, The Iron Triangle, 
I say consistently, almost on every page, nobody is this stupid. This is a plan. And their plan is to keep black people exactly where they are so they can use them for their purposes and their power. And they've been doing it for over 220 years. What you are witnessing is the last chapter of a 50-year cultural genocide conducted by the Democrat Party in the bright light of day. Well, and what these people have done, they've caused a dystopia inside the black community. And all of the institutions have been destroyed from family, religion, educational, economic, and now the government institutions are now being destroyed. And you have the people flailing about not knowing what to do. Here is uh, Terry Crews. He said in his words, I'll die on this hill, that he's not signed on to what Black Lives Matter stands for. He said not all white people are bad, not all black people are good. Can you believe he said that? Cut 28. Now, I want to bring up the fact that, you know, there are some very, very, you know, militant type forces in Black Lives Matter. And what I was issuing was a warning. You know, it's one of those things where I've been a part of different groups. I've been a part of different things. And you see how extremes can really get, can go far and can go wild. And then when you issue a warning and when a warning is seen as detrimental to the movement, how can you ever, ever have checks and balances? He got blowback. He's been called horrible things now. And he says, I don't care. I'm doubling down, tripling down. Well, Terry's correct. But in the black community, you have this element. And in my book, I and Triangle, I talk about this element that's been telling African-Americans that they're a victim, that the, 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 the Democratic Party has these godlike powers to solve all of your problems if they would only do it. But you and I know, Brian, that it doesn't work that way. We bear responsibility for our own destruction. I mean, I saw Roots when I was a kid, and there was this part in Roots that really bothered me. It was this part where this um, black slave woman was escorting her daughter to the overseer to be raped. The mother was doing it. In, in, in Frederick Douglass's book, um, My Bondage, My Freedom, he talked about his first memory as a five-year-old. His grandmother walked with him 12 miles to hand him over to another plantation and skipped out the back door and he never saw her again. His grandmother had handed him over. She didn't escape with him. She handed him over. In the black community, we are being taught these things. White people aren't teaching us about white supremacy and uh, 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 what's this stupid phrase they got now, uh, uh, white privilege. We are telling our children that there is white privilege in America. It started in the Civil Rights Movement when Dr. Martin Luther King stood up and said, 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Negro is still not free. And that was a lie. I was born free. It's an unalienable right given to me by God. It is irrevocable, non-transferable, and unsellable. And they've been saying this for the past 50 years because as long as they can get black people to believe that government and the Democratic Party has the ability to give you everything you want, they will keep them completely under control. And Terry's correct. When black people understand that you have the power to go as far in America as you choose to go, that there are good people, black and white, bad people, black and white, the decisions that you make will determine where you find yourself, the Democrat Party's done. Here's more from Terry Crews, Cup 44. I don't want to move from one oppressor to the next. And one thing is really Who's, who's the next oppressor? At, who's the next oppressor? Oh, when I, when I describe this, when you look in the city of Chicago, there are nine children who've died by gun violence, by black-on-black gun violence 
with uh, from June 20th all the way to today. And you're talking about even with the Atlanta child murders, there were 28 kids who were, who died during, in two years. You're talking about a month and you have nine black kids and the Black Lives Matter movement has said nothing. And it bothers him. He said if they care about black lives, you'd be just as upset in the black and black crime in Chicago, in Atlanta and everywhere else. Do you agree? You'll be amazed how many black people are lactating. Uh, but see, they usually don't get the microphone. They, they will skip over 10 of them to get the one guy that's angry and screaming in the street. And to finish Terry's thought, the next oppressor is, are the Marxists in Black Lives Matter. Understand this. These guys aren't talking about freedom. They are talking about exchanging American democracy, a democracy for Marxism and communism. That is, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about removing uh, 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 a democracy for a tyranny. And they're not going to tell you that they're Marxists, but if you look on their website, they'll tell you. I mean, these guys are not who they are. The press is trying to make them seem like they're the next, uh, you, know, the, 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 uh, you know, the church has failed. Uh, they've destroyed the family. They've destroyed the school system. They've destroyed the economic system. So now these people are going to the last bastion, and that is what? A totalitarian state. They don't know what to do. They have been lied to for the last 50 years, and they've, they've done everything these Democrats have, have asked them to do. They gave them their children, said, you give, me, give us your children, we'll educate them. They lied. If you, give, if you put out your men, we'll provide for you. They lied. If we give you your guns, we'll protect you. They lied. Now they look around and they see this dystopia. They have the lowest life expectancy of any group of people in the whole industrialized world. They're spending $20,000 per child, and their children are, graduate, are leaving school unable to read. They're aborting half of their children, and of the ones that are born, they put them in an educational system that will not educate them and turn them into criminals. And now they're saying, what do we do? And this, right now, you're looking at a dystopia, a cultural genocide, and Joe well, Biden and the Democrats say they're proud of it. And do you I, think you know, part of it, do you think I'm part proud. of it is this whole uh, defund the police? Is that part of this whole thing? Is that the Occupy movement? Is, is this part of this thing you see? I'm looking at the Breathe Act that was released yesterday in the House by, led by the squad. Make grants to local jurisdictions to decarcerate their jails and to fund the police forces. Offer a 50% federal match of local savings from shutting down jails and prisons. Abolish state gang databases. Establish a grant to promote environmental justice. Um, and uh, eliminate the use of electronic monitoring, including ankle monitors. Is this part of that? What did you see? Yeah, this is uh, full speed ahead. I mean, uh, they're, they're not going to admit that they've been lying to the people and they've been wrong. They're going to deflect and say that your problem are the rich white Republicans that you never see every day. You know, it's easy to put it on somebody else when these people don't have a microphone, they don't have a presence to defend themselves. Uh, they are saying that it's not you. You're a victim. You're weak. You're, you, you, you're stupid. You can't control your lives. We have to do this for you. And the people are nodding their head because the black preacher agrees. The black politicians agree. NAACP and Black Lives Matter agrees. And they are not getting, and they're watching CNN and MSNBC, and they're not getting any other information. It's a terrible thing to watch, man. And it hurts my heart to watch these people with all of this ta talent all of this great history, to watch it go to waste. It kind of reminds me of the, the 1876 race between Hill Tilden and Hayes. You're a historian. You know about this race. 
when uh, 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 a little over 10 years after the Civil War, the whole South went Democrat again. The whole South, the Mississippi plan and the South Carolina plan said you got to get a black person, and they didn't call them black, but you know what they called them, through intimidation, through bribery, or just because they love you. And even though white people could not vote down South, the black people voted for the very same party that put them in slavery 10 years before. And so when it came time, you know, they found out all of these things were going on, and the Republicans came down to try to see what the heck's going on. And they were trying to give the race to, uh, to, to Hayes. And South Carolina said, well, we're going to start the Civil War again if you do. So I can understand what Hayes said. He said, I tell you what, man, we've had all these hundreds of thousands of people die. We've been down here 12 years on Reconstruction to try to help you people be free. Republicans have died. We spent millions of dollars at that time, probably trillions in, uh, if you counted it now. And then you people turned back and voted for the same party, <laughs> the very same party that put you in chains. Tell you what, fight for yourself. Right. And, and the that's K- a political concept behind it. And gave birth to the KKK. Yes, it did. Yep. And the KKK was there before, and they, and, and they destroyed the KKK. Remember, Grant destroyed the KKK. With an army. They came out there and destroyed them. Yes, with, with an army. And then they went and voted for them. In 1876, for Tilden, the whole South went almost Democrat. And, 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 and we allowed the confed- uh, these, these, these Confederate soldiers, I mean, half of them died in the war. Most of them that came back were, were invalids because they were injured. And black men still wouldn't stand up. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to be free, you're going to have to get yourself a gun and look a man in the eye and say, you're not going to bother me, my family, or my property. Anybody that's going to come here and try to take this from me, right. I'm going to take you. I'm going to send you to hell. And Vince, Vince I agree with you. And when I see these people who are mostly white fighting for Black Lives Matters, and I'm saying to myself, I like to speak to a spokesperson that wants to speak for African-Americans. I don't mind that white people are there, but if they're everywhere, I'm wondering who are they standing up for? Where have they been? So uh, Vince Everett Ellison, pick I up saw, his, Go I ahead. I saw a crazy poll, Brian, that said 84% of the people that marched with them are white. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Hey, now, I wouldn't either, man. But look, get my book. Get Iron Triangle. You got it. Go to my website, irontrianglebook.com, irontrianglebook.com. Go get them, Vince. Thanks so much. Vincent Everett Ellison. And we come back to your calls, and then we talk about this guy named George Washington. Does he deserve all the acclaim? John Burlow with that. You're next. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. As I told you, I'll be taking your calls and I'll be giving away a couple of my books, the ones you choose. I also have the Young Readers edition of George Washington's Secret Six, as well as Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates. Doc, listen to WOKV in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. Doc. Hey, Brian, I tell you what, I'm enjoying the show. Um, I'm an African-American, and I walk black Democrats past their emotions and show them that Trump is making America great for the black community. When I tell them about the First Step program, I say, you know that reversed the 1994 crime bill. Then I tell them about the record low jobs. Okay, he gets the black man out of jail. He gets them jobs. He invests in black colleges, and then he does the Opportunity Zone. That is definitely messing with the Democrats' playbook. I know. The Democrats want to put the black man in jail. He's done. 
They well, want to be the, 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 the daddy of the house with, with government uh, food stamps and all that. No, no, no. Trump giving the black man a job. And then my question when I ask him, I walk them past their emotions. And then I say, well, if it's such a racial issue, why wasn't it a problem when Barack Obama did the eulogy for a KKK member named Robert Byrd? That blows their mind. I win black people over and show them that Trump is our best friend. He's making America great for the black community. I would I just love say President Trump. And Doc, I'll tell you what, even if you're not for Trump, make whoever this candidate or she is, make them earn your vote. The Hispanics do it. The Asians do it. Women do it. Why not make people earn your vote? Jeanette, WDBO Orlando. Jeanette. Yes. Hi, good morning. Good morning. This morning I heard you say on Fox and Friends that it was June and that school starts in five months. I'm worried about you, Brian. I think you need to get a little sleep. Um, It's July 8th, and here in Florida, school starts August the 10th. So we have a month before school starts. And how many months? For one thing, thing, we've been talking about this from March, trying to get kids back in school in May, trying to get them back for the last month in June. And now everyone has bent the curve, especially in the Northeast, and they're saying, I'm not sure if they should go back to school. When you have a governor in Florida who said, yeah, the cases are increasing, but we have to find a way to get back in school. That's the point. Do you not think the kids should go back to school? They have to go back. They're not learning at home. My parents, I'm a first-generation American. My parents hardly spoke English. They were functionally illiterate. There would have been no way for them to teach me from home. I worry so much. We have a high immigrant population here. I can't imagine that there's a lot of learning going on at home. They need to go back to school. Thanks so much for the call. 1-866-408-7669. Everybody needs to go back to school. You have to find a way. Don't tell me, well, it's hard. Arizona's dangerous. Texas, is the cases are rising. In New York, cases are going down. Find a way to get back. You go ahead. Be resourceful. Use the resources. Talk to the doctors, the scientists, and the educators. But they need to teach and not at home, not through Zoom. Sorry, Zoom. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. In your view, where does it end? Should statues, for example, of George Washington come down? Well, let me just say that we should start off by having a national dialogue on it um, at some point. But right now we're in the middle of a global pandemic and our one of our ally, one of our um, uh, countries that are opposed to us, Russia, has put a bounty on American troops' heads. Yeah, right. Uh, it wasn't my idea to pull down statues. While we're in the middle of a pandemic, that's been happening across the country. Tammy Duckworth showing why she should not be the number two to Joe Biden. Or if you want Joe Biden to lose, perhaps she should. Senator Tammy Duckworth yesterday on CNN, excuse me, on Sunday on CNN, wants to discuss George Washington staying on a statue or maybe keeping Washington, D.C. as the capital. That's an astounding answer from a war veteran who gave both her legs uh, fighting this battle in the Illinois State Guard. Astounding. John Burla uh, Law joins us now, an award-winning journalist, senior fellow for finance and access capital at CEI, and author of a brand new book, George Washington, Entrepreneur, How Our Founding Fathers' Private Business Pursuits Changed America and the World. John, 
Congratulations on the book. I got to bring it to the senator's statement. Are you surprised she wants a dialogue on the greatness of George Washington? Um, I'm I'm disappointed, but not uh, but not surprised. But I think if you want a, if she does want a dialogue, my place is a book to start because it talks about di- all the many reasons to be appreciative, as well as as well as new reasons of George Washington that his mind was open and inventive, from building new businesses, welcoming inventors, to extend it to uh, fighting the prejudice of his day against Catholics and Jews. Interesting. And it became pretty clear, too, during his time that he knew slavery was wrong. And at at one point, he was actually losing money with slaves because many of them couldn't work anymore, getting older, you're fully supporting them. And there was some thought about his second inaugural focusing on the elimination of slavery, wasn't there? I'm not sure about that. I do know he was the only founding father who held slaves to have free all of his slaves uh, in his will, more than about 124, and then provided for the uh, old age benefits from them that Mount Vernon was paying until uh, the Mount Vernon estate, his heirs, was paying until eight, the 1830s, as well as trying to provide for education for, 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 the, for the younger, uh, for the younger in, in, uh, former enslaved workers. So he certainly went, you know, he bettered his era and he set us on the path to ending slavery, whereas someone like Woodrow Wilson, you can uh, criticize for being worse than his era as far as, you know, resegregating the, uh, resegregating the federal government. Yet Woodrow Wilson's still a, a hero to many, to many Democrats. John, talk about diversity. They say, well, he won the war and became president, but he's so much more than that. What did you discover about his business acumen? I discovered that his business acumen really tells his story, that he was as creative and as, I would say, as, as smart in his own way as people like Jefferson and Franklin, and you can real, and Americans who are trying to be entrepreneurs can really relate to him to his businesses and adaptability, like when he stopped growing uh, tobacco because he thought it was harming the soil and grow wheat, and then would brand that, we, that and make the wheat into a flower, which he would brand with his own name, the G1. Washington signature, and later when he built, which Mount Vernon has rebuilt, the whiskey distillery after the war on the advice of his Irish Catholic friend and his (laughs) Scottish uh, farm manager. He also didn't stop there when it came to breeding horses, right? Right. Well, he breeded. He was. He's known in 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 many circles as the father of the American mule. That he saw mule. He heard about mules in Europe and wanted to get some here. And he had the Marquis de Lafayette, who was a big ally of him from France in the war. You know, help him get you know French and Spanish donkeys to breed with uh, with mares to make mules. And was as yes, is considered the father of the American mule. Which mules were very uh, useful, crucial, and everything from building canals to doing the farm work that. Uh, uh, pulling the plows that the horses couldn't do. What did you get by, you know, you read about him, you research him, look through his papers, but then you go to Mount Vernon. What do you get from going to his home? Well, Mount Vernon was just was just you 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 feel you feel him there. The mansion, you know, the actual not a replica. There are some replicas, but the mansion that he, that he built. The uh, the fact that it is still you know they make make whiskey based on his on his recipe, and that they are celebrating his entrepreneurship. They have a working flour mill or, or grist mill too, and they have such a there's such a resource as far as putting things online about Washington um, uh, that's especially helpful now. But I was able to use the uh, Mount Vernon, the, his 
new presidential library that they actually built. So it is it is just it is literally awesome if you if you if you go if you go there. You know what's interesting, as big as it is, it was used to be so much bigger. And when you find out that Jefferson died broke and Monroe and Madison struggle with money and you realize how hard it was, how you got everything and lost everything so quickly, what challenges did Washington have financially? Oh, he had a lot of challenges. Like he didn't, he didn't start where Jefferson and others did. His uh, father died when he was 11, and the family couldn't afford to send him a co- to college. And he didn't inherit that much because he wasn't the first, uh, the first son. He, uh, he was the third son. Had two older half brothers. He really started out in the gig econ- what I would call the gig economy of the 18th century, where he had a freelance surveying practice, would survey land. But through surveying land, he uh, was able to buy some of the undeveloped. Land. Like in the Shenandoah Valley, the you know then undeveloped parts of western uh, Western Virginia, and and then he and then he also got paid in some of the land, and so that started him off as a as what we would call a real estate speculator. And he also, through surveying, he learned about, you know, how to judge conditions of the land, including battlefields. And then he, he made, tinkered on his own, made, um, but also helped American inventors, called out the importance of, of inventors in his first speech to Congress. And even when he welcomed balloonists here, the hot air balloonists started in France, said, you know, said someday we may travel by, quote, flying through the air, could actually, even, in je- even if in jest, predict air travel. So he had an amazing mind that you know and wasn't afraid to change and and that helped him and that helped him with these struggles. John Burlaw guest, he's an award-winning journalist and author of a brand new book George Washington Entrepreneur: How Our Founding Fathers Private Business Pursuits Changed America and the World. John, when you see his statue's hands being sprayed red, when you see other statues of Washington being torn down, when you see George Washington University possibly changing its name, and Washington and Lee, they're going to change the Lee part. They might even change the Washington part. As a guy that's knee-deep in this and understands the roots of our country, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel very sad, although I must say that, that seeing him in red in some ways, he, I think he might consider that a badge of honor because he, he had been through wars and struggles before, but he is the one, he is a very, he is a very unifying figure. He, he, uh, he saw, you know, it's, it, nobody is, uh, nobody, as you have said, is the, is the perfect man, but he saw, you know, growing up with slavery as the natural order really everywhere, everywhere in the world. Um, he came to see its 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 wrongness. He uh, was he championed you know uh, who were the other minorities at the time Jews and Catholics. I mean Catholics faced faced tremendous prejudice. They couldn't serve in a, in a jury in Virginia during the colonial days and everything. in Washington you know had a bunch of Irish Catholic friends that he championed. Had had you know entertained at Mount Vernon and uh, uh, championed you know their their careers. Put John Fitzgerald his his colonel in the war on on the board of one of his the company to improve the Potomac River. So he was just, he had, you know, as far as progress, technology, um, making America what it is, making America and making America what we want it to be, there's no better ideal than, than George Washington. I think it's very ironic, too, that plays to your book, is that's a private, uh, that's a private ranch. I mean, that's a, that's a historic site. But the government can't close it down. Remember when they shut down the government, they tried to close it down, and Mount Vernon people said, excuse me, we're privately owned. They have a foundation that supports it. Washington would be proud of that, wouldn't he? 
I think he would be, and and this is and this supports you know women lead, uh, leadership. That the Mount it was it was some of the, uh, the the Mount Vernon Ladies Association is the name of the association that runs it. Some of some ladies of the 19th century didn't like the way it was being run down, so they bought they bought Mount Vernon from its heirs and have been running it as, as a private organization ever since. It was open every day, uh, just about every day during the year until the until the pandemic hit. I have so read that, that it's that. Yeah, I have read too that you know he was with a lot of these great intellects, with Madison and Monroe, and with Jefferson, and they were these great intellects. Do you think he had somewhat of a complex because he didn't have the formal uh, higher education as them? I think he felt conscientious about it, but he certainly was. This is one thing I want to stress in, in my book. He was a reader. He, re- he most likely read Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations about the, the th- theory of capitalism. I mean, there's a copy of it he underlined, so he did, he did read it. He would read books about agriculture. He, was, he had a lot of natural ability and learned from experience, but even things like riding a horse, he would read books, his uh, invoices and order shows. He re- ordered books about horsemanship and, and then, then read it, re- read about how to make a jump, how to take care of a sick horse, and certainly read a lot of book about ag- books about agriculture and corresponded with the British agri- agriculturalists. John, congratulations on the book. I think that you got to not only talk about his entrepreneurial past, you got to go to bat for who Washington is, sadly, and let this country know he's much, much more than a man who had slaves. He was a, a leader that learned on the job, who lost his dad young, was able to overcome all types of obstacles. And become one of the most diverse, successful people in our history. John Burla, you outline that in your book, John uh, George Washington Entrepreneur, How Our Founding Fathers' Private Business Pursuits Changed America and the World. Congratulations, John. Thanks, Brian. And thanks. I hope that people enjoy George Washington Entrepreneur. You got it. Uh, go get him, John. Uh, back with your calls. And we, got it. we haven't talked about sports yet, but uh, sports coming back. We'll discuss that in a moment. Keeping you informed for 10 years. And he's not done yet. Brian, everything you say is awesome. I love your show. Brian, a great show. You know, it's fast-paced. It's interesting. I wish I didn't have to work during the day. I love your show. You're you're just different than any of the other folks on the radio. Some of them are just so negative. Thank you for what you do. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I know you're watching us on Fox Nation right now, but keep in mind, I thank everybody for joining up. Evidently, because of the the last four episodes of What Made America Great, the numbers of new subscribers went through the roof, and people clicking on the extended look at the White House tour was fantastic. So really appreciate it, especially at a time in which everyone's questioning our national heritage. Quick thing in the world of sports. I haven't really had a chance to look at it, but evidently baseball is getting real nervous. Basketball is getting real nervous. And uh, the and I, I don't think they should. they got to find a way to play. Uh, but football players are trying to wipe out the whole preseason, which I'm fine with. But just don't wipe out the season. Be safe. Work hard, be conscientious, but play. Listen to what Scottie Pippen said after he found out the latest positive tests in the NBA as they report to the bubble in Orlando, cut 30. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to put myself in the player's shoes and say, I don't know if a championship is really worth it. Uh, You're going to have teams trying to limp in to a finish line. I mean, you're going to have players getting sick along the way. Is this going to feel like a real championship or is this feeling like whoever – stayed the most 
healthiest and they were able to win at the finish line because you may not even have your best players out there on the basketball court. And we're talking about battling for a title. Stephen A. Smith, who's as smart uh, and as opinionated as anyone, cut 31. That would depend on whether or not it's fair to ask anybody to go to work in this day and age. Uh, If it's unfair to ask anybody to go to work in, in this day and age, then of course it's unfair to the players. But if other people are being asked to go to work in our society, then it's not unfair for them to ask them to go to work. But ultimately, what it comes down to is that we have an economy. You can't lay at home and wait for the government to pay your bills, to give you a check. They're not going to do it. And we just need to put on our big boy and big girl pants, grow up and accept that reality. I like Stephen Smith even more now. Uh, Stephen A. Smith. And finally, just uh, taking a look at uh, at at baseball, Mike Trout. As respected as anyone in sports, cut thirty-three. Honestly, still don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, obviously with the with the baby coming, there's a lot of stuff going through my mind right now, my wife's mind, my family, just trying to be the safest and most cautious way to get uh, through a season. You know, I'm just, I, I've told Billy, I told a bunch of the guys, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I gotta I gotta be really cautious these next few weeks. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, obviously I don't want to test positive and I don't want to bring it back to my wife. Understood. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Ron, listening on the stream in Toledo, Ohio. Ron, hello. What's on your mind, Hi, Ron? Ryan. Hey, I, I was just wanted to bring up about uh, one America News is doing a thing on the Biden tapes, and I was just hoping that uh, that all the radio stations and and news programs don't give uh, Joe Biden a pass on. Well, what, I, I'm not familiar with it. Can you give me an idea what they're running? No, they said they got like five hours of uh, Joe Biden tapes on uh, Ukraine, uh, pre quo and uh, uh, Hunter Biden getting that uh, that money for working over there. Well, look, they're going to scrutinize uh, Trump and they're going to spend every day asking for his taxes and they're trying to sue him for everything. I'll look at it. Absolutely. Al in Clearwater, Florida. Al. Um, well, I don't know where to go now. <laughs> All the topics I was listening to so many people. I know. Uh, the sports thing I could maybe touch on. I don't know <laughs> at this point. I really called in about the American way of life. <laughs> no, go ahead. First off, uh, on sports, you want to see these guys and these women back? Well, I think some people probably do, yes. I think other people are empathetic to their plight, like they're saying. You know, we're just encouraging the potential. You know it's going to happen. Some will get infected. Uh, we don't know if, how extreme it could be. Uh, it seems obviously vary between one to the other. I think a lot of the motivation is, I mean, look at the contracts. All those guys truly don't need the money to force them back into their work roles. But I think, moreover, the uh, owners probably are looking to the networks for their lucrative contracts and uh, advertising dollars to get back in their pocket. Yeah. Uh, listen, think- there's nothing wrong with going out there. I think I would hate for them to start and stop. What it would do to the American psyche would really be tragic. It would be bad as school not starting. Uh, thanks. And the American way of life is great. West Palm Beach, Rich. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Brian. I just wanted to call to give kudos to Bob Woodson, to Congressman Scott, also to uh, Terry uh, Cruz, Vince Everett Ellison, all these people that are being so courageous yep. and stepping up to the plate. And I appreciate all the information you're giving to me. I love the history. I love all the real facts that you present. And I would really love to get one of your books. Well, thanks. Which one? 
You got George Washington Secret I, Six, Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. Any one of them would be terrific. And then after I read one of them, I'm sure I'll buy all the rest. You got it. I'll send out Sam Houston and sign it to you, uh, Rich. Appreciate it. Corey, tune in app, Nebraska. Corey. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Great. Uh, my concern with the school starting is I got a daughter that uh, she missed the cutoff for kindergarten last year. And so um, through the last year and a half, uh, her uh, library has done a, a reading program to incentive, you know, so many 500 books before you, you start kindergarten. Um, and, and we really tried to hit that pretty hard during the winter. And then when coronavirus hit, um, obviously the library shut down and it made it really difficult to try to to be in there and be in that in that environment of the library and to get there and i've noticed that she's kind of disconnected herself at the age of five to not wanting to not interested in finishing this and and, and continuing you know to succeed the 500 books to get her well, picture on the wall and well Corey, so we got to get your daughter and uh got to get your kid back in school get in school for the first time in your case you sound like a fantastic parent by the way I wish there were more parents like conscientious as you. Kids got to go back to school, overcome the hurdles. Brian, kill me, Joe. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.